Hey everybody, welcome to Daryl's Daring Thoughts, week two. Um, side note, that was Tasha Marie, my sister, I love her. That was her song called Euphoria. Her album is called Love Journey. Get that, it's on iTunes and Spotify and everywhere music is available and sold. Again, that's Love Journey and that song was Euphoria. Thank you, Tasha. While you're listening to this podcast, I want you guys to understand that I'm going to be as transparent as possible about myself, my life, my situations, what I view in the world. And I just encourage you to also be transparent in your thoughts and in your daily life. Um, It seems as though transparency has took a back seat in 2019. And I encourage you to be transparent in your life to others, to yourself. Sometimes it's hard and difficult to be transparent. I get it. But transparency, I believe, is what we need to be able to have a better life and better relationships with each other. So just note that when you're listening to this, I'm going to force you to be transparent as I will be with you. This week, we have a special guest. And I'm saying special for many reasons. (laughs) I have Carla here with us. Carla, how are you? I'm well. I was thinking I could get one more sip of coffee in before I had to answer a question. (laughs) That's okay. But that's okay. That's all right. I'm here now. I'm here. I'm ready. Thank you so much for joining me, Carla. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. This week, we are talking about theater. And for those of you who know me, I do a lot of theater in Chicago suburbs. I have done Union work. I've done non-union work. I'm saying the proper terms because I was grilled by Miss Carla when I was saying something totally different. <laughs> so I have done both and I have had my issues with theater and the things I am seeing here in Chicago. And I just really wanted to talk to people about it. And I know I needed someone here who has an amazing background on the subject to give me some insights, to give you guys some insights on what is going on with theater um, from the aspect of diversity in theater and what are we going in the right direction? Are we not going in the right direction? Are we in a standstill? Do we think we're going in the right direction and we're not? Is it just a facade? So I really wanted Carla to come on and just educate all of us and the things we can do to better the theater experience for people of color Mm. and so that's why I really wanted Carla here so Carla could you just briefly give us some your some of your background and things that you've done that you'd like to talk about well yes I can I'll use my professional voice hello my name is Carla Stillwell S-T-I-L-L-W-E-L-L I am the executive director and founder of the Stillwell Institute for Contemporary Black Art Um, I have been in, I am a Chicago native. I've been doing theater since I was 10 years old in this city professionally, and I am 46, so you do the math. Um, and I don't mind telling my age because a bitch still looks like this. Hey, 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 girl. hey. oh my God. Won't he do it? <laughs> won't he do it? Won't he will? <laughs> will it won't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was a, a member of Impact theater. I was an uh, artistic associate for the for 10 years. I was the managing director for five years and I was the artistic director for five years. I stepped down last year um, from that position, not because I did not love my company. That's still my family and my home. Um, uh, But 
um, I got sick of theater. Mm-hmm. I got tired of it. I got tired of doing um, theater for white gazes. And what I wanted to do when I founded my institute was to um, create a place for emerging black artists in the Chicagoland area to um, be able to create across disciplines and to um, understand that theater is a vocation and understand um, that art is a vocation and that we as black people can live and work and don't ha- we don't have to be starving artists mm. that we um, and it is our job to pull each other up and um, create pipelines to um, larger arts institutions and the money that's out there because it's out there. So what would you say is one of your most proudest works that you have produced and showcased here in Chicago? Um, I'm a playwright. I've had some amazing work um done that I've written and people have um directed for me and uh I've had some I've had some good critical success, mm-hmm. which is why people don't understand why I hate theater. <laughs> <laughs> I Cause, don't because uh hey did well. But uh uh <laughs> Honestly, the last show, the show that I just produced, um, Nick Whitcomb. Do you know Nick? I do not. Nick is um, from originally from Omaha, mm-hmm. and he is this amazing, like, quadruple threat okay. theater artist. And I love this kid. I met him when um, he was ADing a show of mine that was being uh, called The Divine Order of Becoming that was being produced in Omaha. And for those uh, of you who don't know, ADN is assistant directing. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Because I just be talking. And that's okay. You got to clean it up for mother. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, I met him there and I fell in love with him. And I told him, I said, you should move to Chicago. So he did. And um, we, I was like, I'm going to make an opportunity for you. And so part of the funding I got um, for to produce a work I you I gave it to him as a fellow, so he was one of my fellows. Oh, wow. uh, this this he was my second fellowship this year, and um, he produced a work. He created and devised a work, and he calls it a musical experiment. Okay, called um, "To the Sea," and it was about the Middle Passage. Oh, and it was beautiful mm. and powerful, and a part of the story we don't tell, and I have to say. Out of all my arts work, being able to produce and to guide and to assist him in this project was my proudest moment. That's awesome. So we're going to get into some things and some things. Oh, not the things. We're going to get into some things. The things, honey. And I just have to be honest with you guys. Remember, I've always said transparency is the biggest takeaway I want people to have when listening to my podcast. And... I'm completely over theater in Chicago. <laughs> I hate it. I am, oh. I am completely over theater. And I have never been the person to just go all out and just say, I'm just going to, you know, go just for professional theater and just do that. I do theater because it's some, I enjoy being on stage. I've been on stage since I was six years old. So I have... I'm going to do a show wherever I can get on stage and do that show. And I have been so discouraged with theater 
And I already know being a plus size um, um, man sits, um, puts me in a different category and I'm always going to be over there mm-hmm. and that on and over there the far right. On top of being a black man, I'm always going to be over there on the far, far right as well. And I know where my place is from that mindset. I know I'm just not going to just go anywhere and not just going to get any role. So right. I said, you know what? I'm just going to, let me just stay in the community theater. Let me just stay where I know. Community theater, they take everybody. They accept you. They don't care. And now all of a sudden, I'm going to community theater auditions and I'm not getting cast at all. And finding out it's because such and such was friends with this person. That's why they got the role or they don't like the way you look. I I literally got turned down in hairspray because the director said, oh, no, Tracy's the only person supposed to be fat in this show. And the director told someone Wait, wait, that, wait. What? That's actually not true. But okay. Well, as far as... um. The character seaweed because I went I was um I went for seaweed okay. and I had a call back for seaweed and he was like you can't be seaweed because Tracy's the only person that's supposed to be fat. And Where does it say that at? I, I uh, never. I I'm didn't, sorry. I'm, I, I, I'm getting I, real. I didn't see I'm that. getting all angry up in get, my, get, in Mashonda. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I'm get, getting get mad angry. down in Mashonda. I want you to get angry. That's not the truth. But that, okay. And you know I I couldn't <laughs> find that. Anywhere in the script. Because it's not. It's not. But that's those are some of the things that I mm-hmm. am told. And so I just got to the point to where I said, you know what? Fuck this. I'm, you know, I started writing my own thing. I started doing my own thing with that. And then I got to the point to where I said, okay, now this thing that I've written, where can I take it? Mm-hmm. And then I tried to take it places and people don't like it because it's, about me it's a it's a home it's about gays it's about being an mm-hmm. african-american gay and struggling with that mm-hmm. and it seems as though no theater wants that and which is interesting because there are a lot of theaters that are designated just for gay playwrights but it seems like they only care about white gay playwrights oh. Don't I'm, get sorry. Me started. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm as, to a, start preaching. as a black gay um, playwright it seems like it's hard to even get my work out there. So yeah. I'm just at a point to where I'm just over it. Oh, yeah. You should be. So my question to <laughs> you is, how do we get here? Racism. So let me cross my legs. <laughs> Somebody light the fire. This is Mother's Fireside Chat. So I don't think people really understand what the history of entertainment in this country The first major American, quote, unquote, theater traditions, live production and film, were steeped in racism. Mm. The first American theater genre was the minstrel show. Uh Okay? Uh Where, and for those who don't understand what the minstrel show was, it was theater by white people that used black people, black used black caricatures to entertain the archetypes, the stereotypes. Didn't they use like blackface? That so the white performers had to be in blackface. Um, which is you take charcoal. If you ever watch Bamboozle, mm-hmm. you if you if you don't know, go watch Bamboozle, you'll see it because Spike Lee did an amazing job with the way the tradition went mm-hmm. with the way you had to put blackface on, but it was charcoal and, and you heated up charcoal with a 
uh, fire and rubbing alcohol. And that's how they got it to stick on their face. Wow. Um, and the white performers had to do that. And if you were a black performer, you still had to perform in blackface. <laughs> so as a black performer, I still had to put on yes. blackface. Yes. <sighs> so there was no theater that was produced in America before that. That was the first American theater genre. So American theater is steeped in racism. Kind of like people talk about, well, slavery is over. No, the institution of slavery was built into our Constitution because the first legal slave, the first person sentenced to slavery, John Punch, was in 1640. Before there was a Constitution, there was legal slavery in the colonies. So we got to step all the way back. Mm -hmm. That's how we got here. Um, Birth of a Nation. Mm -hmm was the first film. That film was about um, a a white woman who was raped by some black savage and the KKK coming in to protect the white woman. So the black savage was played by a white person. No, no, no. no. It was a black person? Oh, no, no, no. Let me, let me be clear. Let me, let me. No, everybody was white. Okay. But they were in blackface. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so here is, so, I mean, so we, this is our problem in this country. This is why we're dealing with that steaming pile of orange shit in the white house. Mm-hmm. Cause he's not, uh, he's not the, he's not the, the, the disease. He's a symptom. Right. That motherfucker is just a boil. Like <laughs> we're dealing with this because nobody will tell the truth about how it started. You can't fix something until you admit it. Right. What did Yann LeVanzin say with her Broke, mm-hmm. broke clock ass because mm-hmm. a broken clock is right twice a day and one of the things she says is we have to call a thing a thing right hey. so we can't have a conversation about American theater and not talk about the racism that it is that is steeped in this country and that is designed and woven into the construct of the building of American theater right that's true so that's how we got here. <laughs> well, that, that, yeah. That, oof, I don't know about y'all, but that's just, I, I'm, I may have to go back and just listen to that again because that was just some good information. So, okay, so that's how we got here. Why are we still here with all the different things that are going on? Because um, of racism. So, this is- so, so my question to you is, <laughs> I understand that. But so would you say that we are making that changes are being done? I would say that band-aids are being put on things. But I would say that no one is actually addressing the issue. Okay. So and we talked of this is what we talked about. Yeah. Um because everybody is trying to deal with what is front facing. This is why I have a I'm always deeply in my feelings and disgusted about colorblind casting or um, these diverse like we're just going to do the all black version of the Tempest or, you know, like Can we're going to explain gonna... uh, colorblind casting. OK, so there's colorblind and color conscious casting um, colorblind casting. This is some shit that started in the 70s, 80s and shit. Well, uh, that is. We're going to just cast the best people for the role. And we're just going to cast some black people. So 
an example of that is, I don't know if people um, are familiar with Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Mm-hmm. But um, Tennessee Williams writes this play about this girl from the other side of the tracks, this white girl who comes into this wealthy white family. And the mother is just like, oh, why is my son with this piece of trash mm-hmm. when her son was actually the lazy bum in the situation? Right. So this is the story. About five years ago, there was production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof somewhere in the Midwest, Minnesota somewhere, where <laughs> they cast a black woman as the mother in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And Paul's. So some people would say that that's, that's great. That's progression. But it's not because that playwright was telling a specific story. And when you put a black woman in there, she has all these lines about you trash, you filth, you're on the other, you're from wherever. This was the 50s. That wasn't even real. Right. No black person would have been in that situation. Right. So that's problematic. And as a playwright, if I look, if, if my niece and nephew go to the theater in, in, in 50 years and they see one of my shows cast with all white people, I hope they sue everybody. So that's problematic. Like this whole, like there's a lot of Shakespeare's used a lot to do the color conscious casting. Mm-hmm. Like we're just going to like cast whoever, blah, blah, blah. Shakespeare wrote one play about colored people. It was Othello. That was his race play. He And to his credit, because he was the Tyler Perry of his day, he was speaking to the common people, and that was a story for the common man, and that was his race play, and he wrote it. The rest of his shit was not about black people. So we so we keep trying to, so this, uh, like, oh, this, this panacea, like, we'll just put black folks and brown folks on top of these white stories is not the answer. Where are the black stories? Mm. That's the conversation that needs to be had. And more. Well, so- my issue with that is that it seems as though all the black stories are about me being somebody's slave, me being somebody's uh, cleaning up somebody, me, somebody's stuff. Oh, sir, master, sir, you know, it, or, the black people's the black play is always about us struggling to do something. Oh well, there you go. Now I want on to the next point. Okay. Because there are still white people picking the story. Mm. And they're still picking the story for aging white audiences. Because American theater has turned into the fucking GOP of the entertainment industry. It's just a whole lot of bunch it's a whole lot of white people making mo- making theater for Mitch McConnell. okay so this is the root of the problem until you decolonize the front offices of theaters and until you decolonize the mind of black theaters that are trying to get money from white funding institutions which is the another big problem then you're always going to get this perspective because that's what old white people that are about to drop dead from death and die want to see. They want to see a good come-up story from a nigga. Okay? So that's that's where they live. That's where that audience is comfortable. And American theater hasn't realized that that audience is dying. I, 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 that just 
makes so much sense to me because um it seems as though a lot of these theater companies that I have done shows with their board is damn near walking up in that board meeting with an oxygen tank and in a in a wheelchair. That most of them are on an iron lung. <laughs> that most of them like cannot breathe like legit like they. So, so what's the problem with knowing your your board members or knowing your season ticket holders are at some point not going to be here to be your season ticket holders. Why aren't those um, theater companies reaching out to get the next generation or the, the next group of people that's, that's going that support you're going to need to carry this theater company? Every conversation that we're having about this, we're having in our political sphere right now. Because this is the argument in the Democratic Party right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Motherfuckers like, but Joe Biden, but Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, people holding on to these old white men because that feels safe, that feels comfortable, that feels like that feels right. Because to admit that that's wrong is to admit that they are dying off. Mm. It's to, to admit that there is another way is to admit defeat. So is this why a lot of theater companies put out their season and they'll have like one show in that season that they want to dedicate to people of color? Oh, well, that's money. That's money. That's money. That's funding. So what's this funny thing that you keep talking about? Okay. So theater does not make money. Broadway, like literally outside of commercial theater, theater does not make money. Um, what makes money for a theater organization is programming. It's not the shows per se. It is the funding for new works, it's donations for this, it's, it's arts and education. It's, these are the things that bring revenue into theater. It's not theater itself. Shows always lose money or break even. Mm-hmm. That's just the truth. So all, and and all of them unless it's straight commercial theater are 501c3s they're all nonprofit organizations uh-huh. so when you are a nonprofit you can reach out to private fo- foundations and ask for money for projects or general operations blah 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 so the funding structure goes like this and there i have to say shout out to the field foundation shout out to artworks fund donnelly uh joyce like there are um alpha wood like there are some there are some organizations that are paul angel that are really trying to change this Mm -hmm. um uh, this this um, systemic racism and funding because they've started to recognize what it is but what happens is um the most foundations are set up like you if you are a foundation and you're doing all this work we'll give you money commiserate to your um income to what you bring in. Okay. So I'll pick on Steppenwolf right now. Okay. Just to pick on them. Go ahead. So Steppenwolf is a multi-million dollar a year budget. It's a nonprofit organization. I don't know how many millions they get, but I know it's over two million. They get over two million in funding. Well, that, that I mean, that's their budget. Okay, that's their budget. Okay. That's their budget. Okay. So this is a, that I'm certain it's more than a $2 million operation. Has to be. Um. And then I'll use my old organization, Impact. Mm-hmm. Impact, when I was running 
around with that with the funding. We never really broke five hundred thousand, which ain't bad for a small little organization. That's true. That's not bad. But here's where the here's the bullshit. So that means there's a grant out there for, and the and the funders have a hundred thousand. They have let's say two hundred fifty thousand dollars that they can give away for a certain project. Okay. Steppenwolf, because of their budget, can already apply for more money than Impact. Mm. So, so so out of that so out of that two hundred fifty thousand dollars, Steppenwolf, because they have this big budget and this big office and have proven that they do this work and they have all these resources, they can actually get fifty thousand dollars, where Impact may only get fifteen. So why would why are they giving them more money and they already have a, a humongous budget? Because white people. Because it's all money laundering. Because racism. So <laughs> so it all comes back to the original it, it, racism. It, you, you never get away. You And this is the problem in this country. We keep trying to have conversations that are over up here. Mm-hmm. When we haven't dealt with what's down there. Right. Which is the point. So how is it equitable that... Steppenwolf can reach out to a funder and say, we want to do our black season. We want to do a show with colored people. And they go, oh, look how you're doing this show with colored people. Take this money. And they're getting all this money. And the actual black and brown communities can't even apply for most of these grants. They don't even qualify for a lot of these grants because their budget isn't big enough. This is why I chastised you about saying community theater. Yes, you did. Because a lot of theaters and a lot of arts organizations are stuck in that low budget place because foundations are inherently racist and are giving the money to white organizations that are larger, that are coming into the community or exploiting the community and not actually giving the money to the artist in the community. Wow. So my question to you is... Can what can we do as a community of people of color to make these changes? Because it seems as though, and I'm just I'll just use this, it seems as though sometimes when we see it it seems like we know some of some of us know this. We know that, you know, these theaters are racist and we know that they this is how they operate. But at the same time we know this. As soon as they announce in their season that they are doing, you know, the color purple, no shade, um, no shade, no shade, oh God. no shade at and all. And those are my people too. No I'm sh- so happy that my people is working on the color purple. I'm happy. I have them people over my, there too. Yeah, them are some of my old school homes. I have, I have. But no shade. No, but no shade. It seems like when those theater companies make those announcements of those particular shows they're doing, we flock. Like they're giving out some, some you know, free Beyonce tickets. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. What what did Mother Toni Morrison tell us? If you haven't read the book that you want to read, you have to write it. Mm-hmm. This this is what I encourage. Oh, say that again. <laughs> I got to find, because I misquote it all the time. But Toni Morrison, one of her quotes is, if you haven't read the story that you want to read that's about you, that reflects you, then you have to go write it. And... I left my theater company. I started my organization. I encourage your generation 
to create your own art. Create it for yourselves. Build the world that you want to see. Who are those children? The Definitions Theater. Yeah, those children. Mm-hmm. They are building the change they want to seek. They just got a 1.5, some kind of million dollars, some kind of land grant where they can get, they, they're going to build their own space. And they started over at the Green Line. They started with yes, University yes. of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. those kids, these, these are brown, black, brown, queer kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I think that's safe to say some of them are queer. Um, I'm sure. No shade. No shade. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I ain't trying to out nobody. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Uh, but like, cause I don't know. I don't know nobody's tea. I ain't out here tea drop. I, I only sip my own tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so Tony, so just, um, to be specific, Tony Morrison said, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. Yes. Boop. Cause the, because the ancestor and Morrison gave us this tea. You guys have to go create the world. You got to create the change you seek. Like, so in order to create the change we see, because a lot of artists, you know, are, you know, this is what they do. This is their life. You know, they have to go where the work is. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people feel as though that, yes, we know that this change needs to happen, but I maybe, but they think I'm not the one for it because I still got to eat. You know what I, I, what was cute about one of the reasons I was so happy about Nick Nick Whitcomb's um, project mm-hmm. is that he hired, you know, my fellows bring in the artists they want to work with. Okay. So he brought in this little group of artists and myself and um, Sean Wallace, who is um, my composer I work with on musicals. And uh, he's another thousand year old Negro that knows everything. You should have him on your show. Okay. Cause that's hilarious. That will be funny. Okay. And you will learn about ancient Kemet. So anyway, okay. uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the things we were so heartened by was their collective and their energy. Okay. And Nick was the leader in that process, and they all had their own specific talents, and we sat them down and told them, y'all need to stay together, because that's how you win. Mm. You find your artistic collective. You you lean on the person that has certain strengths, and y'all y'all give that energy to each other and give that permission to each other. Cause most people, there are leaders that don't start because they don't have anybody that'll follow. Wow. Whew. You got to get in community with your, with your people and figure out what y'all want to do artistically. Wow. Well, Carly, you really gave us some, some things to think about. You gave me a lot of things to think about. You really educated me and, my biggest takeaway, and I would love to hear some of you guys' feedback about this, but my biggest takeaway from this episode listening to Carla speak is that we have to create opportunities for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we have to, in the midst of creating that opportunity, we need to grab people. We need to grab those people to come along this journey with us as we cre- are creating these opportunities. And don't be afraid. And don't be afraid. Because, listen, my mama used to say, you hold your fist so tight, you don't let anything out, you don't let anything in. Wow. You have to open your hands. You have to give your talents and your gifts. You have to be bold. And you have to trust that you will be fed. Mm. See, a lot of us artists, um, we, we operate from a 
from a, 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 a sense of scarcity. And that's the other thing I need black artists especially to understand. There's money. This ain't a hobby. This is a vocation. Mm. I've kept the roof over my head for years. I ain't rich. And sometimes there's a bill looking back at me. But I'm not struggling. Mm-hmm. You don't have to struggle as an artist. Stop operating from scarcity. That's what that flock into white theaters is. Stop operating like that's the work and you have to be there. You ain't got to do shit but stay black and die. For real. Or stay African American and be deceased. I don't care how you want to say it. That's all you got to do. That's right. So create your opportunity and know that the money's coming. Open your hand and be in community with your people. Let the church say amen. Well, Carla, I want to thank you for coming by and being a part of this amazing episode. To follow me on social media, you can go to Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. Um, it's Cordero underscore Santiago. Um, my Facebook is Cordero Dante Santiago. Dante is D-O-N-T um, apostrophe E. Follow me on Instagram to just stay in touch with everything I'll talk about. I'll update you on um, the upcoming episodes and things to look forward to for the next episode. We're going to get into some more great topics. Carla, again, I want to thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.